Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. You made it through the holidays. You are here with us, and I am grateful for that. Now, I don't really do New Year's resolutions. When I want to make a change, I just immediately decide to make that change. I don't wait till New Year's, but I have been thinking about how to make the podcast better. What do I want to do this year with the podcast? I mentioned already that I was going to have more music for you. I was going to try and have more musical guests for you. Uh, I may even do some sound effects or um, background music. Who knows? It's whether... I have time to do that, (laughs) but I have some great guests lined up for you already. I'm going to have Diana Alt come on the show. She is an expert in careers, the career that you want. We already had some great guests this year to start us out. Today, we have a wonderful lady. She is a coach. And she is a survivor herself. She's going to talk about her journey. She lives in Ontario, Canada. She's originally from Nairobi, Kenya. And she's going to be talking about her story, very traumatic story, and how she has healed and is beginning to invest in other people's lives and help them. Let me read you a couple. Let me read you her bio. Hope McKenna is a certified human resources professional in Canada who has served in the corporate world for more than a decade, helping organizations implement changes and support their staff through the process. During this time, individuals started approaching her for help in their life and career changes, especially in periods where they felt hopeless and without a clear vision or purpose. She has since then began to coach those who are going through major career and life transitions, helping them gain more clarity in whose they are and empowering them with the tools to build confidence and courage to move forward in pursuing their big goals. I do want to mention that we had some bad internet connection. Her internet isn't really steady or reliable sometimes, so you will hear her cutting out here and there. I did my best to clean it up so you can understand everything. And I deleted the stuff that you could not 
understand it whatsoever. So appreciate your patience with that and grace. So this is going to be an exciting conversation. So here is my conversation with Hope McKenna. Please welcome Hope McKenna to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out to come on the podcast and tell your story. Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. And I feel honored to be um, being featured here in your platform with your audience. I hope I can be a blessing um, because you have been such a blessing to me. Yeah, we've talked before and your story is so inspiring. And your name, Hope, that's exactly what you bring is Hope to those around you. So I'm, I'm glad to have you today. And you're coming from Ontario, Canada. Yes. Uh, you're originally from Nairobi, Kenya. That's exactly right. I'm from Nairobi. And uh, I have been here for the last, I want to say, so we're 2021 now. So it's been 21 years already. Whoa. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's where I, I grew up there. Um, at least the first portion of my life, and then uh, I came to Canada. So tell us what life was like growing up in Nairobi. Well, so like I mentioned earlier, um, I joined Canada, or I moved to Canada when I was 12 years old. So um, I can share with you my earliest memories. Uh, That for me was... A lot of hustling and bustling in a town. It's a beautiful country. There's so much greenery. There is so much, um, you know, I love the red soil. There's red soil everywhere. If you've ever been to Prince Edward Island here in Canada um, and you've seen the red soil, that's pretty much what you see quite a bit of in in, uh, Nairobi. Um, And then, of course, there's uh, there is the culture. Uh, The culture is is amazing. And. Um, the people are also just amazing, and the food, oh, you, it takes me back so many years um, of all that nostalgia, really. Um, but beyond that, uh, I, I would probably say the one thing that I do remember that, you know, that that takes me even, uh, that kind of, if we were to connect it more to to, you know, our session here today, is growing up in going to boarding school and really seeing the expression that it takes a village to raise uh, a child. And uh, that's exactly what we embodied there. We had neighbors and teachers who had equal responsibility in your upbringing as much as your parents. So that meant they were part of your punishment. If it was about punishment, they were part (laughs) of your disciplinary. If it's about, you know, do this or don't do this. They were part of it, and and really that is embodied very much uh, so there. Um, so beyond that, the that experience kind of also gave me um, some interesting insights because I also grew up uh, grew up seeing domestic violence in the neighborhood, and that was normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember just wa- taking a walk every day in my my little community and hearing uh, women uh, being beaten and crying. And um, and now just you just pretty much walk on by and just move on. And that was normal oh. for us. It was normal mm-hmm. to see, to be part of 
a situation where your neighbors were disciplining you uh, by through beating or um, your teachers. So that was normal. People are treating children like like human beings, like they mm-hmm. mattered, that like they were special. Children had a voice. Children had a say. They could say no, and no one would give them any kind of corporal punishment. When did you meet the Lord Jesus? Was it in Kenya? Yeah. Um, So I was six years old at the time when I met the Lord. I I like sharing this story. I remember sharing it when I was um, getting baptized. And what what was especially funny about the whole situation was it reminded me almost like uh, you know the time where Jesus was uh, at church uh, this, his parents were looking for him and he was a young boy at the time and he was busy talking to the elders and and teaching um, when the parents were busy looking for him so it was pretty much the same thing similar rather so I was in in Sunday school at the time and I heard the story about Peter walking on water and and I thought mm-hmm. what he was walking on water and and Jesus calmed the storm and he, this guy had so much faith in this Jesus how possible is that mm-hmm. you mean there is someone who has so much power well you know what I want to know more about this person and I've been hearing so many stories about Christ but I don't know why that one really stuck with me and I I said you know uh, when when the pastor actually was not a pastor was a was a youth uh, a Sunday school teacher when he asked you does anyone want to choose a path with Christ and for me that was a no-brainer I said I needed I want it and I prayed with a pastor I was the last person that Sunday um, in Sunday school and we we just prayed together and this whole time my mom was busy looking for me wondering what's happening to her daughter and where is she and and back then you know you you know it was a safe time where kids would be mm-hmm. uh, released into back into the church and they would go and uh, find their parents and and so she was looking for me I didn't show up like I was supposed to and so I went to her and I said, hey, I just, I just accepted Christ. I, I'm, I am saved. That's a word we used to use. I am saved. And she bawled tears and she went and told everyone. But the thing that I remember most about that whole experience is going back to, to school um, shortly after I was six years old, like I mentioned. And and I had just gone to grade one, um, grade one, grade two at the time, and can't quite remember which of the two grades because I had just um, I had just turned started my school in boarding, and some of the kids were really curious about Christ, and they were curious why I was so interested in this whole Christianity or the whole being saved thing, and they wanted to know more. And I was so invited mm-hmm. for Jesus, so I shared with them. And I remember I had two to three little girls who decided to follow Christ. And they've followed Christ ever since. And it it's a blessing to know that um that I was able to bless someone else at such a small age. Yeah, such a small, uh, young age rather. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. What <laughs> did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> Well, 
Um, <laughs> so my childhood started in, in Kenya, and, but I grew up in Canada. I moved here when I was 12 years old. And, you know, I'm so grateful for that upbringing because that's how I got to know and accept Christ, of course. Really early, got to go to Christian school. I got really great foundation, um, and I know any different. The one thing that was cool at the time, especially in Kenya, was to grow up and be an heiress, a, a doctor, or I can't remember what the other thing was, but those were the two cool things to want to be when you grew up. But most people didn't really want to be a doctor because it was almost impossible to to be a doctor when you grew up but i said you know i'm going to grow up and i'll be a doctor and so i set out my life when i moved in canada with that specific goal in mind i was going to be a doctor be a canadian and have 10 kids and uh by 35 and uh, <laughs> move back to kenya probably have a big piece of land and big picket fence and a few calls and just settle down there and have my children run around um, every single day without a care in the world. But of course, God has very <laughs> different plans sometimes for us, right? He sees things in, in ways that we couldn't possibly foresee. And uh, interestingly enough, I started that journey of health sciences in, in college. And, and then at some point, I realized, you know, this is not where God wants me to be. I, that was one of the hardest decisions of my life. Um, I knew I wanted to help people. And so I, and I started doing accounting and finance, which then led into human resources. So I became a human resources professional instead. And I married a Kenyan in Canada, who I met in Canada. <laughs> so very different. And I ended up getting two kids. So very different from my big dream that I had. And, but yeah, I, I, that's what I wanted to be. And, uh, but God had very different plans. Yeah. There's a saying, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> that's right. Lofty plans too. And my life is very different as well, but so I'm very blessed to have the life that I have now. Now I wanted to circle mm. back to, when you came over here to North America as a teenager, what was that mm -hmm. like? Um, did you have adjustments culturally going from, a, from another country? Absolutely. That was hard. That was really hard. I'll first say that coming to Canada for us was a big dream. It was a lifetime dream, really, it felt at the time. It was literally like winning the lottery, right? You know, we'd been praying and fasting at the time uh, for years to be able to come to Canada. And finally, that opportunity came. And I moved to Canada and I saw like very differently from how I had experienced it in Kenya. So I knew I had or felt that I had hit the lottery completely. But of course, when you're a young preteen in this society, things are very different. There are certain expectations from the other children. There are certain experiences that they've gone through their whole lives and you haven't had those same experiences and of course I've seen poverty in my community growing up in Kenya so coming here and seeing everyone with more than enough and, and the wasting yeah the, waste. the wasting right people pouring lunch from their <laughs> cafeteria trays to be honest, I, I've never gotten over that. I still cannot. It hurts me. 
<laughs> deeply yeah, when I, I see hate wasting, wasting. Food. yeah um, it it just yeah but beyond that was the other cultural shock of you know we grew up in you know being in boarding school we we had very strict rules boys were to be friends with from afar and that's where you just see them in class and you probably play during recess but beyond that you were never to have any kind of relationship it was almost scandalous really mm-hmm. so coming to canada um, and other kids asking me oh do you have a boyfriend you know they're all excited but for me i would say ew you know and of course <laughs> for children here who know things differently they made different assumptions about me and my sexuality so they started teasing me and i had no idea why they were teasing me and you because know they thought you i were guess a virgin it's good when you don't know oh no they thought i was a lesbian oh and they started to call me that didn't know what that meant anyway so it didn't offend me but i quickly also started seeing interesting being kind of sidelined in an interesting way right uh, where people were probably whispering about you and especially my accent i i grew up with british colonization so of words right so spectacles is what we would say here they call them glasses so very mm-hmm. different right pants for us are trousers and so hearing the word pants i would just burst out laughing and i would think you're talking about underwear right so there was that cultural change as well it was kind of interesting to see this this petite african little girl who has been brought into the 20th century i think it was the 20th century at the time um <laughs> before hitting the 21st right so it was like i had just been brought into the future right and it was it was comical for many and it was fine it was fine for the most part but later on i started experiencing for the first time the feeling of depression or just those sentiments of it and then i realized you know for me to be able to integrate into this culture i need to do things differently i need to start doing more things like they are doing and what was most interesting is about a summer or two later i had the opportunity to go and visit a family friend who was much much further away from uh, where i live so maybe it was probably a one two day trip and and while i was there i you know i met the other kids who were there and they were they were very different from me they were very outgoing they were everything all the other kids at school were and i wanted to be part of that i wanted to be to fit in and so uh slowly by slowly they started showing me okay well you need to dress this way you need to talk like this and walk like this and before i knew it they were pretty much getting me dressed up every day and before i knew it we would take walks every night with the sole intention of uh getting someone to pick us up in cars um usually men to pick us up in in their cars and so this became a nightly thing and i thought it was pretty surprising but at the same time very very cool i fit in somewhere for the first time so this um, was like kind of cruising just kind of a dating sort of a thing you're out hanging out with boys at this point yeah, at this point um we were kind of started being introduced to just the idea of what a boyfriend might look like what being wanted looks like what mm-hmm. being attractive feels like or looks like and so the message i got is to be attractive you dress up and you go and you know in the most provocative clothes that you can find and you go and you 
try and see how much attention you can get um, and hopefully by the end of the night get a ride from someone, a stranger, right? Mm -hmm. I never really questioned what would happen after the ride, but it's funny how God protects us and especially children because we're so exposed and vulnerable and really, I don't know anything that could have prevented I mean, you didn't know anything about I sex know, but then? I or? still pray. I still believed in Christ. I didn't know anything. I had no idea. I didn't know what sex was at the time. I, I had no idea. And it's probably why I was primed for what happened next. One of the family, their family friends came to visit for, I don't know what felt like forever, to be honest, for the summer. And he was first person that I had experienced a full interaction someone of the opposite sex you know in in a in a less than friendly way um he was a younger boy than me by two years but he was much bigger much stronger than I Mm -hmm. and he certainly knew a lot more than I did because he took full advantage of that every opportunity he did he had he would grope and he forcibly kissed me and just was constantly in my space and and he continued to harass me on a daily basis and you know the family was aware everyone was aware I particularly remember an instance where one of the boys and he was an older boy in the household witnessed him doing more and wanting to go further in the whole experience and just watched he didn't step in and help he didn't stop it and he was I I believe he must he must have been probably 17 years old at the time but old enough to know that Mm. that he could do more you know he could be there anyway uh God is God is amazing and and I suppose I would say that you know our parents as a parent always pray for your child because you don't know what they're exposed to out there. They, you don't know what they encounter on a daily basis. There's those things that they tell you. There's those things that you may never know. But your prayers, God hears. You know, I believe my mom was hearing my prayers. I mean, uh, God was hearing my mom's prayers, right? Because you know, she was, she's always been a prayerful woman, and she would pray. And I don't know. She, she I, I don't. She never got to hear about that experience until two years later, but she was praying. I know that the only reason I got out of that whole situation was because of her prayers. God bless her. Um, Yeah. And interestingly enough, um, my guardian at the time, I shared with her what was going on and in very few terms, because I didn't even know what was going on. I just knew it was wrong. And and it was it was horrible and it was a nightmare every day to be in the same space with that boy and she said there's no way a boy younger than you could be capable of anything like that what <laughs> this and come on she never questioned anything else about it and she said you know i trust this family this these are people that i've known for years they would never do anything like that. Their their child is incapable of any anything like that. 
And so right away we had tension in the house and, and it was just a scenario where I just, you know, I, I started looking forward to those nights where we went out every night to get attention because at least I was away from him and at least maybe probably be in the company of other people. So it wouldn't just be me or mm-hmm. I, I would be safer. I just knew that I would be safer somehow. Anyway, whatever the case um, at the time, something somehow happened and we for whatever reason and sent me back home right away and uh, with a bad report oh yeah you know she's definitely very stubborn and you know we don't need her here anymore I was grateful I remember my my mom being disappointed at the time when you send off your child you know you want them to be the best example out there you want them to to have uh, good reports when they come back. And, uh, and sure. that was not the case for me. I, I came back with that report. So just having that whole ring over my head was enough for me to feel like I couldn't open up and share with her that experience. And of course, I'd come from a culture where you don't talk about these things and adults are always right. There was no way I was going to question the report that she'd gotten about me, I was not about to start saying, oh yeah, I didn't have a good time. Um, It was ugly all throughout. I was not about to do that. Anyway, so that became one of the scenarios that was a precursor to some more years of depression and extreme overwhelm, uh, cutting and trying to commit suicide. And multiple times and I questioned who I was I questioned where God was throughout I didn't see those prayers that I I told you about I didn't see any of that you know when you're so young you just see the the negative right you don't have the maturity to see the positive or to be great you just you know you you feel just like a victim basically right Right. so I hope I answered your question (laughs) it was long-winded oh no you're yeah Going right along the uh, questions that I would ask, and and mm-hmm. we can see how God has worked in your life so far. You suffered a lot of pain as a result of that, that traumatic time of your life. You told mm-hmm. me a story about an intervention at a train station. What yeah. happened there? Yeah. So in those teen years, I, I went through a very dark phase of that depression and cutting and multiple suicide attempts, mm-hmm. that situation with the harassment by that family friend. And, um, but God manages, of course, to squeeze his way in, right, to, to give us new perspective, really. I felt conflicted during that whole period about my place in the world and no matter how much I felt conflicted God just kept showing over up over and over again anytime I tried to commit suicide he showed up I I can't I can't begin to explain it to you but he showed up every single time (sighs) but he showed up and I specifically remember my very last suicide attempt okay God you clearly don't want me to do this so that specific instance, I was walking alone in an underground train station. 
one quiet afternoon and I made sure there weren't enough you know, many people around. I didn't want to traumatize anyone, I guess. But I'll never forget how hopeless and alone I felt and, mm-hmm. you know, that the world was so much better without me in it. And it was then that I leaned forward and, and I walked quickly to get in front of a moving train when a strange man, let's just call him an angel, yes. um, <laughs> who was sent by God, <laughs> he just came in and he, and he asked me, he what are you, you doing? What is wrong with you? Yeah. He just grabbed he just you said, by your shirt? You know, he, he grabbed me on my left. I was he had this look of disgust you know he didn't have the look of like oh you know are you okay you poor girl you know do you need to he just pulled me yanked me and then he said what are you doing what is wrong with you and then he threw me back and he walked on and then I don't know but I felt like (laughs) it was God asking me what is wrong with you you have Mm. everything people who love you you have a good grade You've worked so hard to get to where you are. You prayed to get into this country. <laughs> you fasted. You did, you know, mm-hmm. you're you've worked so hard to 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 be where you are. And people people care about you. Your family, you know, some family members back in Kenya still struggling. You know, friends who are just struggling to find food or shelter and even school fees or just shoes for their feet. And you're going to throw that all out for what? And that's when I realized that God is really not done with me yet. He's not ready to give up on me and that I still had a purpose. I was still around for something, even if I didn't know what it was yet. And mm-hmm. a few months later, he actually showed up yet again. It's like with Forrest my Gump. Do you remember that? Just then, God <laughs> yes. showed up. Where's this guy of yours? Just that he showed up. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, he was relentless, that guy. That's exactly right. He he showed up. And this time he showed up with an assignment. But I'll let you ask your questions because, you know, I I just God must have, it must have just sent him for that moment, that one particular moment. I, I may he he may never know that I'm so grateful. You know, he he made a difference in my life. And sometimes we don't know that God uses us sometimes to to interrupt our own earthly plan to let his plan, his big master plan take over. He uses us to bless other people's lives. I have I've seen some people over the last two years asking, you know, why am I here? You know, why why am I still here? I don't have a job anymore. I don't have someone has passed away over the last two years. I am broken. My husband has left me. Why am I still here? And I want to say, you know, if if you haven't seen the Lord show up in your life yet, he is very present all around you. And you're still here because He still has a purpose for you. He still has a big, big purpose for you. And there is hope. Mm -hmm. We all have those dark times and we're down in the dumps and we're feeling sorry for ourselves and the devil's pouncing on us. And God has definitely sent people into my life 
to get me mm-hmm. out of the hole that I was in. And so I'm very thankful for those people. They may not be angels, but they are special people that God brought in to intervene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to talk about you got a, a job in Toronto with a Christian organization. What, mm-hmm. was, uh, what was your experience with them? That's the special assignment that God, uh, you know, uh, brought into my life. He put some very, you know, interesting burning desire within me to go far away from home. Um, give you some perspective, it's six hours away from where I was. And I was a teenager of 16 years at the time. And I just wanted to find a job suddenly in a Christian organization. It was going to be far far, far from where I was. I, I lived at the time in a, in a francophone pro, uh, a province uh, called Quebec. So uh, back then, people didn't do that kind of thing. You didn't just go, you know, a black petite teenager uh, living in a French city looking for a job six hours away in an, an anglophone city that she doesn't even know anyone in. But it just had to be a Christian organization. I wanted it to be a job that would just pay me whatever. And at least I would make summer and I'd be just fine. But I don't really know what I was thinking because um, it it had to be God, really. Um, Funny thing is, the same day I went looking for it, and back then we didn't have um, Google, right? Right. Like, okay, we we may have had Google, but we used to, you know, connect the internet in a funny way, you know, with the different connectors and mm-hmm. you're waiting for the thing to to work and dial you still up. use MapQuest to get anywhere dial up that's it that's it the dial up <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah and so I for whatever reason thought it was a good idea to go and search for a job and I go, went ahead and did that and funny thing is almost the same night I found a job it was six hours away and it was a Christian organization, Center for Student Missions um, is what it was called, the organization. And I had no idea what it was all about. All I knew it was that I was going to be serving in a big way, in a probably a leading role. And I had no idea more about that. So um, I was called in for an interview a few days later. And um, I remember telling my mom, hey, mom, I'm going six hours away for a job. And and I'll see you. And she said, you know, do you know anyone who's who's there? You know, where are you going to stay? And I said, don't worry, God will provide. And they told me, uh, yeah, actually, we'll, we'll get you to live in the church. And, and I said, what? OK, no problem. It was just completely fine with me. I had no idea who those people were, but I knew that it was God who was sending me there. And, and I had to find out why I needed to find out why. Um, and so when I got there, I realized this was not just an ordinary job. I I remember my colleagues who were working there started telling me how they'd been spending a few months and weeks before uh, leading up to the the first day with their church collecting donations for their missions trip and for their time during that experience. And and I said, What do you mean missions trip? Then I realized it was a missionary role. I had no idea. <laughs> I was officially a missionary and a leader for that matter. Little Surprise. me was going to lead groups. <laughs> exactly. Little me was going to lead groups of people. I had not accept, you know, expected that. And how would God choose me of all people? Um, but you know the saying, you know, fake it till you make it. So I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to fake it till I make it here. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I had never 
done mass presentations in front of people um, all the time. And there I was leading these groups into organizations and nonprofit organizations and into homes as well. And just, you know, leading the way. And I remember people would make fun sometimes and ask some of the leaders of those organizations asking, hey, where's the leader? I want to find this leader. And and they'd all point to little me and they'd say, (laughs) are you sure? Is there anyone else? You know, because everyone else was either an adult or, you know, much, much older than me, probably much taller than I anyway. So it was always very. I'm actually older than I look. (laughs) Yes. No, I really wasn't, though. You know, that's a funny thing. I really wasn't. But that role for me really gave me a new encounter with Christ because for those years um, before where I was going through that deep, dark depression, I was really questioning my faith. I was questioning God. I was questioning why I was even a Christian. After all, you know, Jesus was a Jew, right? He was the king of the Jews, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe I could have, maybe not anything at all because where where has God been, right? And And so now I'm in the situation where I'm leading and I am leading people who have been doing youth groups their whole lives you know I hadn't had that kind of experience myself besides high school so how is it that God has chosen me and I remember that summer I got to see the brokenness around our local community um, there in Toronto we got to just seeing people struggling people in pain people who live on the streets and talking to them and sharing conversations over cups of coffee or over just, we used to make sandwiches as well. Uh, And hearing their stories, it really gave me perspective. You know, I really got to see that be a beacon of hope for them. Maybe, just maybe, that's where my purpose lies. And there, I realized my purpose. Yes. Exactly. I realized my purpose. Yeah, I, it gives me shivers just thinking about it, how God used me, Mm. who almost was not there anymore, to share God's word with people who live on the streets and show them God's love. And beyond that, show young people who are part of these youth groups and their leaders, that they too matter, that they too have a purpose. And I remember a girl who in one of the youth groups shared that she was going through a dark time, a dark And I don't know why she chose me, but she had a conversation with me. And I remember knowing exactly what to tell her somehow Mm. and I remember she was so hopeless at that point she was ready to take her own life and I remember telling her you're not done yet you're not done yet talk to someone you need to tell someone you need to talk to someone you can get out of this and for her it was a family member so I learned that summer that there was so much brokenness around me and I couldn't just let it be. I needed to fulfill the purpose that God has put me on this earth. And for me, I believe what I, what 
was revealed to me was to give people hope through teaching, through encouragement. And so that's what I set out. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. As life would have it, you're excited after that one missions trip. And, and then I go back home and I'm excited to say, hey, I know what I'll do with my, with my life. And it aligned at the time very well with me wanting to be a doctor. So it was, you know, it was a no-brainer. But whatever I was going to do, I was going to help people one way or another. One way or another, I was going to help people. I'll leave my answer to that for, <laughs> for now. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and then let you lead on to the next question. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you fell in love with God all over again. Yes. Yeah. He gave me a humanity and refined my gift of public speaking during that time and of teaching encouragement. I mean, honestly, I, that could only be God. That could only be God. Mm-hmm. And, and how funny, if I had decided, no, God, I'm going to keep going with my plan and my plan alone. If I didn't let him stop me each time and take a moment to listen to, to the interruptions of his, his voice through various actions or through the people who came and showed up in my life to inconvenience me, right? When I'm just about to take my own life away he brings someone to inconvenience the process right if I had just decided I'm going to keep going with my own plan I wouldn't be where I am today I've been there too it's it's um it's remarkable how God shows up in our lives and and through other people he lit that fire within me and it's it's just been quite a journey to to know that I can continue pouring into people's lives to what I do on a daily basis and it's a blessing now you met your hubby and got married and became a mom tell Mm -hmm. us a little about Mm -hmm. your family so I have two amazing uh amazing kids who keep me busy of course but uh, busy in a good way they are oh they fill my heart they fill my heart they fill our li- lives with laughter and so much joy. And I'm and my husband as well, who has always supported me in all my, uh, my, my journey, really. We met quite early, actually. I, I thought it was in my mid-20s, but I recently realized, actually, it was quite earlier than that. It was at 20. When I was 20, we met and we got engaged after a few months, after a few wow. weeks, actually, of, uh, of meeting. In less than a month, we were um, we were engaged. We had a long engagement because that we were in school at the time. But uh, I've I've learned so much perspective uh, from him, and to see the world in a different way, and and to listen to to where God is leading me. You know, sometimes we we're so keen on sticking to our own plan. We have we have this. And sometimes we, we could easily just want to take over and take control all the time. But, you know, wanting to do God's job for him. We, we, we don't want to be patient enough sometimes. And anyway, so, so that, that's been an incredible journey. And I'm so grateful for that. But specifically, I, I would want to share my, um, the birth of my firstborn, my, my son. That was my first encounter with depression as a mom right you know I don't know if it's true or not Mm -hmm. yes absolutely and you know 
I was so angry. I was so angry when, when I had my son because I felt the world owed me so many answers. I felt all the women who came before me could have told me exactly what to expect and they didn't. And it's ironic because that's not the reality because everyone has a different reality, you know? Everyone has a different experience and encounter with motherhood for the first time. So I know now it's silly to have been so angry at them, but I didn't prepare to be a mother. I thought my years of any babysitting I had done in my life up until that point was uh, enough to qualify me as a you know, badge of honor type of mom. And I expected that it was going to be a walk in the park. Hey, you know, just wake up at night and change a few diapers and feed the baby. Well, what's the big deal? Except when I had, I don't even know how long my delivery process was, but in the last few hours being given so much information by my nurse, which included uh, pump every minute, you should be uh, pumping or expecting milk. And after the baby goes to sleep, just make sure that you're uh, getting ready with their diapers and all of that and ready for the next feeding and just keep doing that on rotation. And I thought that that was supposed to continue for the entire, you know, their first year of life. So I didn't sleep. I just kept the baby up the whole time. And I'd, rather I'd, I'd feed the baby, put the baby to sleep, wake the baby up for the next hour, feed the baby, put the baby back to sleep, do the same thing over and over. And wake the baby up? You, Hold on a second. Can you imagine that? I did not wake the so, baby you know, up. They, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I was like... Because when the nurse told me, you know, feed. So I was completely confused. And so I remember after so many hours, I think it was probably 78 hours of being straight awake, okay, the first day, I'll say that's my fault. I was just too in awe of the baby, and I just stared at the baby. And then I think someone else told me, check the baby's temperature every hour. So I was checking the baby's temperature every hour. You didn't have, like, and your mom sure. or your grandmom there to help you, huh? Oh, you by my, yourself? My grandmother had... I, I My mom, oh, you know, it's, a, it's unfortunate um, and interesting that you mentioned that because my grandmother had just passed away two months before that and uh, and so my mom had gone to be with um you know that whole process she had traveled um and taken time off of work for over a month for about a month or so and so when she came in she she didn't have too many hours um extra Mm -hmm. that she could take off but she took some time and she came over and she Mm -hmm. um we didn't live in the same city so it was a two-hour drive for her each time and uh, she was there She came, she cooked, and she did all of that. But no one can do your job as a mom, right? True. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all you. <laughs> it's all you when it comes down to it, you know. And I didn't trust people. I suddenly felt like I didn't trust anyone with a baby, including my husband. And, you know, I, I, I didn't trust that my mom knew how to hold the baby well enough. And yet she's had two of her own, right? And um, <laughs> I don't know. I think I was just completely exhausted and I don't know what else. I I couldn't think. I couldn't think rationally. I was angry when I, I was angry at my husband. If I saw him, you know, on the phone, probably sending pictures to 
his family all excited about the whole scenario and the situation of having being a father right and and i just expected him to know exactly what i was thinking and um and exactly what i needed and i was in pain i didn't know that mm. you could be in so much pain from delivery and um oh. but all those are not things to scare anyone who's never been a mom before who is uh, you know waiting to be a mom or um who is waiting for the delivery date not to scare you at all i simply didn't you know equip myself well enough i think i probably didn't ask the right questions i probably didn't take the time to read um books about after expecting i had the oh, what yeah. to expect when you're expecting book but i didn't you know think to you know <laughs> to look up more um so but when i quickly realized that now, now i there's so many resources mm-hmm. now exactly and so but i think a big part of it was my expectations i had so many expectations on everyone around me i had expectations on my mom i had expectations on my mother-in-law to be there she couldn't be there at the time she was ill i had expectations uh, over my aunt who was supposed to be there she couldn't also be there for different reasons and um i had expectations for my husband to be more present as well but he had started a new job and he was he was on uh, probation at the time so he couldn't take more time and you know it doesn't always translate very well in the workforce when you have a child um and yeah. saying that hey i need to take time off uh, as a new parent right so there were so there was so much that i had within me um that created so much anger and overwhelm and i remember calling the hospital one day and asking so when am i supposed to sleep i think it was probably day 8 and they said what do you mean Well the nurse told me to to wake the baby up every hour and you know and pump every hour so and she said no you were supposed to do that the first few hours just until the baby you know catches up and <laughs> gets enough um of their birth weight back and and I said what do you mean and at that point you know I was gone too far my I couldn't sleep I couldn't fall asleep I had full blown insomnia and and um and then it turned into be really dark baby blues and having really vivid horrid dark dreams um and i remember after about a month a month and a half or so i remember thinking i was driving and i remember thinking i i understand every woman who has ever driven off a bridge with their whole family Oh. because of the overwhelm and the and i i get it i get it the huge I mental health strain for sure exactly exactly and i think that's when i realized you know that that i knew i i couldn't it was beyond me i couldn't i couldn't deal with it alone and i'm grateful that i was in a place to have that mental conversation you know I I don't I wouldn't even say I I was energized enough to pray. I, at that point I was just on survival mode, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't know what to do and I remember calling a friend and her mom. You know, she she'd been a mom a few times before so she said, "Hey, you know what? This is where you need someone in person to come in and give you a few hours of sleep, but beyond that you need a conversation." you need to talk to someone and yes. 
I remember that night, you know, I called my mom and she came to, she drove two hours. And the, the beauty of a mom who prays, she drove two hours on a wintry night. I mean, on a, on a, in the middle of the night, rather, it wasn't winter, it was summer. Um, she drove in the middle of the night and she had work, a really important work meeting the next morning. She drove, she came, she talked to myself, my husband, gave me the tools that I needed, um, gave me so, so many words of wisdom and we prayed mm. together. Um, uh, she gave me quite a few uh, ways um, to move forward and to prevent um, any kind of situation moving forward that could go even worse. And, and then she drove right back. She had to go back to work. That's what mamas do, right? But she doesn't even enjoy driving so much. Two hours in, two hours back. And I think she even brought food with her. And, oh, I am so grateful. Because that was, that was the beginning for me, for for my healing and my realization. You know, this thing, postpartum depression is real. And I remember saying from that point forward, I would never let a woman go through thinking that it's all honky-dory and that they're doing something wrong. They are probably doing the right thing. They just need to sometimes need help. And, and that's okay. That's okay if you need help. It's okay if you aren't yourself. You can go right ahead and admit it. It's completely okay. It's a big transition in your life. It's a big change. You're no longer, you know, through a human being in your body yes. for the last nine months and and delivered and um and beyond that the thing I learned the most was the expectations that I had on everyone that was going to be my biggest downfall um in any scenario is keeping those expectations going and and that was my biggest thought in my second pregnancy to make sure that I didn't have those expectations the second time around that I would just expect things to be very, very different that, you know, I may not have everyone that I expect to be there readily available in the way that I want them to be there when I want, to, I want them to be there. Um, and, and that that's okay. It doesn't mean that they lo- don't love me. It doesn't mean that they want me to struggle or suffer. It's none of that. They're just doing the best they can with what they know they can do in that moment and never say no to help. <laughs> And don't wake a baby, you know, a sleeping baby. Don't wake a sleeping <laughs> baby, you know, unless, of course, you have real reason to be concerned. Um, in which case, there's there's so many resources these days readily available. Um, don't use that time to Google what you could be doing better with your baby, because especially those first few weeks, if you don't get enough rest, it could getting to a point of insomnia is for for me uh, is an accumulation of lack of sleep and and then you you can't fall asleep anymore you're delirious and, and that because you are <laughs> exactly and maybe even a few hallucinations along the way too mm-hmm. yeah. so it's so important to take care of yourself as a new mom and you mm-hmm. had so many really great points in your story there i think that god created mm-hmm. us to go through certain stages like pregnancy and raising a family when we're very young because we're very strong and we don't know any better. So we're so adventurous and we just go 
charging right into stuff without any forethought. I'm going to charge hell yeah. with a squirt gun, you know? <laughs> and we don't know any exactly. better, but we do things we wouldn't do if we were like much older in our life and look back and say, I'm like, I should have had my head examined or whatever, but uh, <laughs> I've never yes, given, given exactly. birth before. Um, I don't have any children. My husband has, has children of his own, but I'm mm. on the other side of the pendulum. I'm going through a transition now, going through mm-hmm. menopause, and mm. you don't realize how powerful those hormones are. For your mood, yes. for your weight, for your uh, for your sleep patterns. Uh, I'm losing my hair mm-hmm. now, which I'm having trouble with my memory and it sucks. For the first time in my life, I've had anxiety and mm-hmm. not depression. I haven't gotten to depression, but my moods have definitely been affected by my hormones and been to a lot of doctors because I didn't know what was wrong with me. I'm like, I'm yes. too young, aren't I? And they're like, nope, you're about mm-hmm. right. About right age. And yeah, absolutely. You know, skipping yeah. periods and uh, you know, mm-hmm. the next month I'm bleeding to death. And uh they like, oh, that's mm-hmm. all normal. That's all normal. But you know, mm-hmm. now I'm getting resources yeah. and getting help and you know, reading the blogs and reading books. My sister's always sending me books and I had my mom over the other day cleaning cleaning the garage and I asked her about when she went through menopause and she's always told us stories when she had us kids. Mm-hmm. She had she had four kids and so yeah, our moms are great resources. I mm-hmm. I think my mom had three jobs. You talk about the sacrifices your mom made. That's that's what our moms do. And my mom had mm-hmm. three jobs as a single parent and and did all kinds of yeah. and I ask her all the time, how did you do it? She's like you wake up and you put one foot in mm-hmm. front of the other and you do what you have to do because you have children that depend on you. And so yeah. I certainly appreciate your story. And I know that you have become a coach and you're wanting to help others that have gone through some of these experiences that you've mentioned. So what is your specialty? Because I certainly like to refer people. There are things that you have gone through that I don't have any experience in. And I I like to have, Mm -hmm. have a network of people to, to refer to for help yeah oh thank you I have used those those gifts that God find in me in my young age in that role in Toronto my gifts of public speaking and teaching and encouragement and um, I've used that over the years to pour out blessing and just hope in people's lives and equipment through their struggles um, in the corporate space for organizations, I've helped them uh, when they're going through times of change and transitions, usually through um, helping them with uh, policy writing and, and uh, building re- resilience, especially in the mental health space. Over the past 10 years of uh, being a HR um, practitioner, I started having people reach out to me uh, for career coaching, um, especially when they were going through career transitions. And that was quite an interesting journey because, you know, a lot of people um, 
don't realize how much uh, you know a transition like that can impact your life where your people will come to me and say hey you know I have been I have been just overwhelmed uh, with where my life is going I don't know why I just show up to work every day and I don't even know why I show up I don't like it but I feel like I can't do anything about it I can't move out, out of it um, and so I started helping people who are really going through those career transitions and and some some people who are moving from sometimes from other organizations or countries as well um, and just being ready to kind of just quit altogether and change their careers altogether. And so I've helped those people in, in those kind of transitions. And then over time, I also started having people uh, reach out with their life issues because they were going through tough life transitions. And so that became interesting, too, because, you know, there, there are moms who come to me and say, hey, you know what? Motherhood is tough. I don't know how to balance my work and my life. And um, and that's a whole new ballgame for me. And my husband needs my time for me, too. And my kids need time for me, too. And they all expect me to smile through the whole thing. How am I going to survive this? How do I keep going? And so that's what I coach. I coach people to through their life, their tough life and career transitions. So they can have more clarity through the process and in you know, kind of remembering who they are and whose they are really. And, um, and I also help them gain uh, courage to move forward and the confidence to move forward to, to achieve those big goals and the big dreams that uh, God has placed in their hearts. Yeah, so I, I certainly appreciate your, uh, you sharing uh, with within your networks i i have a heart to to just serve others and and share my experiences as well there's the last two years have really been weighing on my heart specifically because people are going through a time like never uh before you know people are experiencing change at a pace that they can't even fathom just looking at the basics of uh, daily news, everything changes from one day to the next, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and people are losing jobs and um, they're losing homes and families and their peace. And um, and then people are working together all the time in the same space every single day. Um, so you're you're balancing emotions. And, and I'm also seeing quite a, a lot of people too coming in, um, sharing that they're having troubles with their, with their um, parents. Um, or with their children, um, they're having boundary issues, mm-hmm. um, and they don't know where to put the, you know, to draw the line, and they're having um, trouble with those transitions, right? So, um, and culture is a big one too, right? I've, I've right. had a lot of people come in and say, hey, you know what, um, this is my, um, I, you know, I, I'm from a, you know, a culture similar to yours, you know, that servant master type you know, culture where you, I don't really have a voice and um, I'm supposed to be submissive. How do I be submissive to my husband? How can I be, be honoring to my parents and still love them and have my boundaries? How can I have that kind of relationship with my boss where I say, you know, this is, this is as much as I'm able to do. I, I need to prioritize my family on certain times or areas and just having that, those boundaries uh, set in a way that that is not icky or um, that doesn't feel like you're you're being dishonoring to to another person or to God, right? So, so that's uh, that's really what I, um, I I love doing, and um, and it's been an incredible journey, uh, you know, pouring into people's lives, and again, using my purpose <laughs> of giving people hope through teaching. That's something I really really enjoy and value so much. 
Well, you've been such a blessing to me. Just a few conversations that we've had. Um, only a, <laughs> you too. Connected across countries and, um, mm-hmm. and we've talked about, you know, Manny Nassau. My listeners know all about my involvement with Manny Nassau and you and I have had conversations and um, certainly appreciate you mentioning uh, Manny Nassau to your, your Kenyan friends and family if they need help because Manning the Soul is always over there mm-hmm. um, absolutely helping, helping those that are suffering yeah. and they're went through horrible trauma and they're on mm-hmm. the front lines and, and training up leaders so people can can be healed and especially mm-hmm. to know the Lord yeah. like like we know the Lord so I am. I am glad to know you. <laughs> you too. I am so so blessed to have you and you know newly in my life and just you know I'm I'm excited to to see where this ministry is uh, headed and um, and I'm I'm so glad to to be a part of it. I know our our paths are designed so strategically by God and to have you uh, cross paths with me and uh, and vice versa is such an honor. It really, really is. Thank so you. Before you go, uh, tell mm-hmm. the listeners how they can connect with you and your services. You can connect with me at hopemckenna.com. Um, I have an opportunity to, to give you a free hour of uh, just full conversation and um, on whatever your journey is and, you know, an area that you're struggling um, with. Whether uh, you you need maybe even just uh, a listening ear, that's an opportunity to to disconnect with me and see whether we we can work well together um, and how I can help you make a definitely connect with me through there. You'll you'll be able to connect with me on Facebook. Uh, you're <laughs> ministering to my heart. Tell the folks what your website is, your email, your your mm-hmm. social media handles. You can find all of that on my website, hopemckenna.com. Uh, beyond that, uh, email address is hopecoachingservices at gmail.com. The best way to connect with me is on Facebook. My Facebook name is Hope McKenna. There is hope. And yes, I am going to ride that whole, you know, word, hope, right? Thank you so much again for being on the podcast and sharing your wonderful story your powerful story today and god bless you sister thank you so much and god bless you thank you for listening to the wounds of the faithful podcast if this episode has been helpful to you please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend you can connect with us at dswministries.org where you'll find our blog along with our facebook twitter and our youtube channel links Hope to see you next week.